Today, it's all about headshots with Peter Hurley and a special guest. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, as always, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots, from conception to completion, all those stories and challenges that happen in between. If you're interested in uh, subscribing to the show, all the show notes for this show, and for that matter, every show, are at BehindTheShot.tv. Just head over there, find the episode you're looking for. For example, for today's show, I've got a little bit that I wrote about Peter. I'm going to add some stuff about our special guest to that writing as well. I've got a small gallery of Peter's work, too. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure, please, that you subscribe and it's the weirdest thing with the YouTube algorithm. You can subscribe to me and not know when I do something. So make sure you hit the bell, choose all. That way, if I do one of the live image critique shows that we do with Don Komarechka or something like that, you'll you'll at least know when it comes out. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast itself, you can do so wherever you get your podcast. It's available in two forms. If your podcast app supports audio only, there's an audio feed for Behind the Shot. If your podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, supports video, then you can subscribe to a video version there as well, as well as seeing it on YouTube. And that brings me to today's guest. I am so excited for this. Mr. Peter Hurley, how are you? Oh, my gosh. I'm good, Steve. Thanks for having me. Having us, actually. Yes. And... I'm going to get to the guest here because this was a last minute idea that Peter had to bring on Marina. Marina, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Steve. And I'm going to do this. We talked about this in the green room, but it's Pires, technically in, in Portuguese. If you're speaking in Portuguese, it's Pires. But if you are speaking Pires. in English, you can just say Pyrus. I've Americanized okay, it over, so over the years. <laughs> So for all of the people that are going to end up watching you as you uh, do your debut, which we're going to get into in a second, I'll leave that as a surprise. For all the people that are going to watch your debut, they will probably end up saying Pyrus or something to that effect. But welcome. Here's basically the idea that's going to happen today, because this is going to be a, a different kind of show for those of you watching than, than usual. So normally I have one guest on and we dissect a shot. But this is a really kind of special, unique scenario where Marina is the subject in the photo. And so we get to talk to her from that side of the camera, which I think is going to be enlightening and kind of educational for everybody. Peter, let's talk about you for a second first. So you are New York City based, have been for a long time, and you're mostly known as a headshot photographer. But I, I am curious, how do you describe what you do? Uh, wow, that's interesting. I, I believe... I mean, I, I never thought it should be called a headshot. I'm not taking a shot of their head. I'm taking a shot of their face and I'm manipulating the face into what I want. So I wish it was called face shots, but that never took off and nobody did that. So it's never going to fly. But it really is about the human and then what they're expressing. And I'm capturing thoughts, actually. So I, I believe that I'm trying to get into the inner psyche of my of my clients and cameras mess people up. So what I try and do is bring them back to themselves. And I think that I, I liken it to, you know, we don't, we don't ever think about our expression. It's very rare that you walk down the street and you, you go, somebody's walking by you and, and you go, oh, I should pull the corners of my mouth up and smile at this person. Our face just does that. Right. When you get in front of a camera, all that disappears. So my job is, I just feel that my job, even though I'm considered a headshot photographer, I'm a, I, well, a physiognomist, I guess I'd say. I look at, which is, I look at people's faces. I determine what they're conveying to the camera. And then I get in there and I tweak it for them. So, and it's all done okay. through connection. Okay. Yeah, but here's the thing. In doing that, you have a skill set, I think, that I think Marina can speak to. You have a skill set of, of recognizing micro, you know, like there's the old term microaggressions. Well, you have the, the ability to recognize those microfacial expressions. And I think even if somebody knew what to do with them, which most people don't and you do, you see them and most people don't. I mean, Marina, when you're in front of his camera, is he saying things to you that you realize are just these minute changes? Oh, absolutely. I think I think the thing that was so different about taking headshots with Peter and I've been an actor in, in New York for about 10 years, taking different headshots and working with different photographers. And I think um, the thing that was so different about this session was you completely took me out of my head. 
Um, and, and being behind the camera, you do, you, you're like a deer in headlights and you get so tense. And I think like, I've never acted a day in my life. You know, that's what you feel like. like, What, what do I do with my face? Um, so I just really appreciated that you kept the conversation flowing and it was, there was a back and forth. I felt like I was giving as much as I was receiving. And, um, yeah, it was just funny. I was laughing the whole time. And of course he was able to capture those moments before and after those explosive moments of laughter or, you know, so. See, I think that's gold. I think that's absolute gold right there in that you're an actress. You're making a Broadway debut coming up again, get into that in a minute. But, uh, so you know what to do in front of humans, right? But Peter has that skill set, and and it's a kind of a wide skill set. Uh, you know, Peter. For those who don't know Peter, first of all, where have you been? But beside that, uh, Peter's a photographer, obviously, educator, speaker, author, uh, and I just I, I find what you do interesting. And here, let, let's talk first of all. I'm, I'm going to start with author. You had a book, The Headshot: The Secrets of Creating Amazing Headshot Portraits. That's available on Amazon, right? You're a well-known speaker. You've spoken for Google, Microsoft, Apple, Adobe. You did a TEDx talk with Dr. Ann Rowley. I have a link to that in the show notes. That was interesting. Thank you. Yeah, that was it. I mean, that that was called bridging the self-acceptance gap. And it's what we face when we look at ourselves in the mirror. And I always ask, when I was working with, with it's Anna, uh, we were asked the question that I asked, and now I'm I'm working with uh, another woman who's really in, intriguing me, Evie Pomporis, and we're doing things along that line. But um, what I ask people is, what is your relationship with your appearance? And I think I don't think many people have ever been posed that question, so it stops people in their tracks. Now I don't lay it on my headshot clients when they walk in the door. I don't get that deep, but but that's what I'm thinking. What is this person's relationship with their appearance? And how comfortable are they in this suit that they've been given from birth? You know, and that's really what what my work boils down to. And what I found, there's a couple of things that are just phenomenal to me that I found over the course of my career that I think are hugely important, but so like what what like like the most critical thing, I guess, or the most amazing thing I think that I've discovered, and this is crazy, but I know that this is it, is that our brain will try to tell us what our face looks like, but it doesn't know. So when you look in front of a camera, your brain is processing your face, but your brain doesn't know, but it convinces you that it knows. And how do I know this? Because when I take that picture that the person thinks they're making a good face, they look completely out to lunch. And I'm like, that is not the face that your brain is telling you you're making right now. So I concoct the expression for them. I kind of own their expression when they get in front of my camera and I make them do things that feel awkward. I always say feels weird, looks good. And then they look at the screen and they're like, what is that? How did it come out like that? I also really appreciated that during the session, he was giving me, he was showing me what I was doing with my face because it's so important. You know, as soon as you see that you can, you can self-correct and kind of see like, Oh, that's not what I look like. But was that, okay. Was that uncomfortable though? Because let's be honest, the perfect example of what Peter just said was, I've never seen anybody as you walk down a sidewalk and you see somebody taking a selfie. They never raise the camera and take a selfie and walk away. There's like 14 rehearsals because then they look at it and go, oh God, I look like an idiot. And then they take another one, right? Yeah. But having somebody else, a third party critique those facial expressions, is that uncomfortable for you? It didn't feel uncomfortable at all. And it wasn't like him critiquing my facial expressions. He was exposing me to what I was doing with my face. He was simply putting the mirror up to me and saying, this, this camera is, you know, tripping you up. And right. this is what, this is what is actually coming across to us. It's, so I think instead of, oh, sorry, no, go, go so on. I just think instead of, you know, I never felt critiqued or, or talked down to in that That's way. Which key. Was That's so key. So beautiful. Um, because it was that conversation of like, well, this is, this is, this might be what you're feeling, but you're looking a little tense lady. <laughs> you know, as, as an educator. Oh, go ahead, Peter. I'm sorry. It's a dance, you know, it's a dance between the two people and, and it's also a personality driven thing. So I mean, it was like she walked in the door and I was like, it's, there's this, 
Anna talked about it in my, in my TEDx talk, there's a thin slice effect where in like one third of a second, we get the person, like, it's just an energy thing. And you walked in the door and I didn't even know what I was getting. Like we, I had no choice. I didn't choose you. Mm-hmm. You just showed up. <laughs> And then she shows up and I was like, oh my gosh, it was so cool. But the thing that happens is that I'm trying to, I've got a whole plan as to where I want to take the session with each person. It's just a matter of who goes there and when they go there. Like we went there very quickly together. And then there's this, this finding, I call them perceived flaws. Like sometimes you find something that somebody might not like about themselves, or I find the thing that I really like about them. I probably told her that I freaked out and love her brows. Like so many times she, that her head was spinning. How many times did I tell you that? Like three or four times. I was like, thank you. Wow. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So as an educator, and this is how I first found out about you, you've got a YouTube channel. Uh, you speak at WPPI. You've spoken in your own booths. You always set up a headshot crew booth and and you've spoken for Canon as well. Photoshop World, I think, is the first time I ever saw you speak, although I watched you last February. I'm about a year ago now uh, at WPPI. But the first time I saw you speak at Photoshop World, I got one of these things. You did. And, which <laughs> Peter does these questions. And I, I can't believe of all the people I like raised my hand and I got the answer and this came flying at me. And it's a you know, USB drive of some of Peter's stuff. I actually own some of Peter's videos. And now actually I, I tune into you periodically on clubhouse, which is kind of a, kind of a cool thing. If you're on clubhouse, go search for Peter, follow him on, on clubhouse as well. Uh, one thing before we get into photo questions, as it were, you've got headshot booker and you've got headshot crew, a helicopter view of each of those, if you would. So Headshot Crew is my coaching platform and referral engine for photographers globally. So I basically take them in if they, if they have a, basically it's portrait photographer. I started out as a portrait photographer and then I had a headshot specialty. So I'm trying to take these photographers that want to have a headshot specialty and either just want to get better photographing humans up close, or they just want to make more cash with their headshot business. And I coach them up. My recipe really works. I've gotten proven results globally. We have 150 associates of mine who, if they get 15 shots in a portfolio by me and they, and their work really rocks, I'll make them an associate. And then we feed them work through the site. There's a find a photographer link there and people can search anywhere. And we've got 17,000, over 17,500 photographers on the site right now in my coaching program, there's 1500. So they, the site basically is, is, uh, generating these leads on a daily basis for photographers. And it all stemmed from me shooting in my studio and somebody calling me up and being like, I need a headshot. And I was like, Oh, it's a thousand bucks click. And I was like, wait a minute, that person still needs a headshot. What if I coach somebody how to do it and they do it more inexpensively than what I would charge. And I brought an in-house photographer did that. And then the, one of the guys was like, I want to go to LA. And I was like, I want to open up in LA. Let's go to LA. And we opened a studio in LA and we did it there. And then I was like, wait a minute, if I'm in LA and New York, why don't we just wait, if I do it, I could do it globally. Wait a minute. And then right. the F stoppers walked in and I got this global attention because of them. And that was it. And we, we started in 2011 and we're cranking today and we love it. And then uh, uh, one of the photographers who I trained is a really smart guy. And he said, look, why don't we start a headshot agency with these photographers for companies that are global that need a a consistent look across the board because with with their headshot photography. So we'll shoot, we'll get a company that's got, we just had one that's got offices in Moscow, Sydney, London, New York, San Francisco. We got some in India going on. We just got a Bulgaria job, like, and we'll match them across the board with the photographers in my network that I trained for them to do the work the way that I do it which is amazing because I get to not only coach people up, but put money in their pocket. And I, I love it. Right. Elevating headshot right. well, photographers globally. It's such a cool program. Uh, I love it. I want to talk about Marina now for a second, because I, I sure. teased something earlier. So before we get into your debut uh, in researching you, tell me about the Heartstrings project. Oh man. Um, well, the Heartstrings project is, is a band. Uh, but not only is it a band, it's it's just a safe space that created out of like a, a beautiful passion project that my partner and I uh, and his brother, Elias, started in New York a few years ago, um, just so that our friends could have a creative artist community 
and share our work that we were creating when we were not employed. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was born out of that. And, uh, I'm also a, a singer songwriter, so it's, it's a place where we can express ourselves in that way. But we just came out with a debut album under uh, Rope-A-Dope Tiny Room Records. Um, and it's called Shadow People. It's on all the streaming sites. It's also on uh, Bandcamp if you're into getting the higher files. I think it came out in, in October, as I recall. Yeah, last year. Yeah, right, yeah. right at the end of the year. So um, everybody go look up Heartstrings Project. But here's the big one. So... You are an actress, singer, songwriter, all of that. But on the actress side, this has got to be pretty cool. You're going to have yeah. a Broadway debut. Tell me about it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So I um, I started rehearsals for my Broadway debut for Aladdin. Uh, Disney's Aladdin in New York on Broadway. And um, two weeks into my rehearsal process, like the day before I found out all the magic, all the magic carpet magic, Broadway shut down. So. Um, so we're, we're kind of in a holding pattern. We're waiting until it's safe for everybody to get back in the theater. Um, but I'm so excited to make my debut now because I feel like a whole new world's going to have a, a whole new meaning, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> that was good. Be, okay. That yeah. was really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So congratulations. I'm hoping Broadway opens soon. And I firmly believe that, that once the world stops ending, as it were, that yeah. people are going to be rushing out their door like we've never seen before so that, you know, everybody, I will have links to everything we've discussed in the show notes behind the shot.tv. And let's get into some pictures here really quick. I do a lot of voiceover and years ago, driving around LA, dropping off voiceover tapes at agents in LA in those days. I mean, I'm talking tapes, cassette tapes, right? Or at times reel to reel tapes. You'd see the traditional Hollywood headshot. 8 by 10 glossy, portrait orientation, flip it over. You got a couple of, I hate to say it, but kind of bizarrely weird shots of somebody in a park, right? Wearing different outfits <laughs> and a small little bio of that particular actor. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, they they were all the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen those. Ev yeah. Everybody on the back of their headshot had one shot with a scarf on or something. Yeah. I love it. And love then it. Peter Hurley happened. And that changed. Suddenly it was clean backgrounds, white or black, usually white, I think in the early days, landscape orientation, cropped tight, like into the head, which immediately as a photographer triggered what everybody wants to do. You want your photos to have people feel like they're looking into the window of life. And by cropping tight into the head, and leaving space on the sides, it, it made you feel more like you're looking at someone's life, not just at a face shot, right? I'm curious, going back to those early days, what was in your head that made you break a pattern that was so ingrained as a standard for the industry? It's, it's really interesting. One is just comfort, like turning the camera vertically is tough. I'm like, I can't see, I can't hold it like this. I'm like, they're designed to be like this. Why would I shoot it like that if I could shoot it like that? So that was one of the things that was first and foremost to me. The other thing was that I had been an actor and I had gone through the acting process. And when I looked through headshots, this one photographer who photographed my first headshots that I considered professional headshots um, shot me horizontally on a white background. And I was like, this is cool. I like this. I like this look. And uh, that was how it started. So I kind of ran with that. And it just made over the course of my career, it made sense to me. Then the other thing was proximity. How close, if my light is great, if my expression is great. And I think the thing, I think the, it was more of a double whammy with me is that, yes, I, I had, well, I had maybe a triple whammy. I had beautiful light, really soft. I had the, the actor really close to the camera, closer than most people would put them. But then I nailed the expression. And what I remember seeing is, and I know this changed the game. Like when I did the video, it's all about the squinch. And I got everybody squinching. Like back, if you look at all the ads of the actors, when I started shooting actors' headshots, everybody had what I consider nefa face, non-existent facial activity. They just look blank. 
um, and they didn't give anything to the camera. So I started this trend of actually making the emotion come through the, through the camera and it's up close and personal it's in your face and it's beautiful. So it was like a, the combination of the three of those that I think, I think that's what worked. I mean, that's what, that's what brought me to where I am today. And, and, um, I continue to try and even the, I break trends because they, they kept saying to me, you can't do this. You can't shoot a white background your whole career. You can't shoot that close. You can't shoot horizontally. I'd have agents call and be like, no, we need to shoot this person outside. I was like, go to another photographer. I don't shoot outside. I don't have control of the light outside stuff's going on around me. I need to be in control of my, my space and my, my actor needs to co-create with me. So I need to be in a safe environment. And, uh, and that's what I did. And sticking to my guns now is like, wow, I really did it. Um, but it's good. Well, and when gl- somebody looks at you and says, you can't do that, my response would be to them. I just handed you a headshot that proves I can, it yeah, can be right. done. Yeah. And you yeah. mentioned the squinch and you mentioned the jawline, which is an interesting one. So you're well known for your squinch, which is raise your lower eye, your, your lower eyelids, not your upper eyelids. For those that haven't seen videos, I just shared it. And then the jawline trick that you do. And so I'm kind of curious, in, in like a sentence, how do, you, how do you coach Marina to do that? And then I'm curious if she heard the same thing you think you said. Yeah, I, well, actually with her, it's different with everybody. Some people really need squinching because what happens is when we're uncertain with, as humans and we get in front of the camera, we're always uncertain because we don't know what our face looks like. Our brain's trying to tell us what our face looks like, but we don't know. So we just open our eyes and we look like this and you look like a deer in the headlights. She didn't do that. So I very, I don't think, I think I said squinch to you like twice, maybe over the there course a few of the shoot. Times. I had, I had some jawline stuff. There was stuff. That I needed A little bit of with. stuff. Yeah. Very little so, stuff. It's very so interesting yeah. to learn. She's doing it. Let's, let's do this. I call, I, I, I. I, let's do this real quick. Everybody imagine there's a hook in the top of your head. It's attached to a string attached to a ceiling and you're up like this. Immediately we have a better jawline. Then there's a string between the camera and your nose and I'm shortening it if I'm the photographer. So you're just going like that. And that brings the jawline out, which strengthens it, which is important no matter who you're shooting, whether they're skinny, heavier, have a scruff or a beard, don't have scruff or a beard. It just makes the person look way better. The one thing that you have to be aware of when you do this is that when the person brings their jawline forward, they don't hunch forward because that effectively raises your camera and raising your camera diminishes people. So you, we, we want to empower them, especially in a headshot. I always wanted to empower actors. I wanted the, the casting director to see something in them that they didn't see in the other shot that came across their desk. I think, I think that her shot is breathtaking. Like I, it's one of my favorite As, headshots yeah. that I've ever taken. Um, and I'm going to bring it up here and just say real quick, for those of you that do not own Peter's book or DVDs or videos or anything like that, I own and can recommend them highly go get them. And if you want links to stuff again, head over to the blog post behind the shot.tv and, uh, just find this episode there. All the links are in there again with the little blurb that I wrote about Peter and, and Marina. And then some some shots of Peter. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, once again, just a reminder at this point, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. That'll make it a little bit easier for you to find out when we're actually doing things. So let's bring up this photo. This is Marina. And I'm going to try. I do this in every shot. I suck at it. I got to be honest, but I'm going to do it anyway. I try and describe the shot because about 50% of the audience listens to an audio only feed while they're driving. And I've had people tell me. I always thought they would go, you know, look at the shot first and then listen. I've actually had people say that they like to listen first, see if they can picture the shot and then go confirm it. So I'm going to try and describe it for everybody. This is a a Peter Hurley headshot. If you've ever seen a Peter Hurley headshot before, you'll understand what I mean. It's a beautiful headshot of Marina shot on a pure white background. What's interesting is it's not pure white. So her blouse is kind of white, but the background is a little off-white. I'm guessing, Peter, that's because of the distance and just the standard uh, I just light fall I don't like it to be blown out super white. I like it to be just a little bit, a little bit off-white, just a little bit. So they pop off okay. it a little bit. So we, I shoot it like that specifically. And then we bring it up in post a little bit, but we don't bring it up to pure white. It just looks okay. more. Because the separation is spot on here. Uh, Marina's body is at 45 degrees about with her right shoulder towards the camera 
Looks like the right shoulder might be down a little bit. Her left shoulder, the hair is in front of the shoulder. Uh, her right shoulder, the hair is slightly behind the shoulder. And here's where it just gets you. This is one of those photos where the subject of the photo is interested. She looks like she's interested in something and she looks interesting. She has an expression on her face that's welcoming. And most importantly, I'd probably argue, she has an expression on her face that's comfortable. Can't stress it enough. Her lips are slightly open, little gap between her bottom lip and her top teeth. Uh, it's cropped, probably I'd say mid-scalp. And the separation of the neck and the jawline is like nothing you've ever seen. Just enough shadow for shape definition, super, super soft shadow. Uh, and here's the other thing that stuck out on me on this one, and I'm guessing this was a number of reasons. This picture, even real headshots all the time that I see all the time, this has a sharpness to it that doesn't look like it's a photo that was sharpened. This looks like real life sharpness for somebody who has good eyesight, I should probably add, right? Or that has their glasses on. Them, <laughs> so with that in mind, technical info, if I'm correct from the EXIF data, this was shot on a new Canon R5, 70 to 200, 2.8 at around 89 millimeters, manual mode, 250th of a second at ISO 100 F3.2 and manual white balance. Does that all sound about right? Sounds about right. Yes. Okay. Then I have questions about that then. Okay. I, well, I First of all, like exposure stuff. 92 so that it hit 89. I'm like, Ooh, okay. Are you, are you being serious? Do you really think about that? Yeah, I like 92. No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If you ask anybody, okay. that's 92. I told Canon to come out with a 92 millimeter. So if they ever do, who knows? <laughs> the Peter Hurley yeah, lens. 90 millimeter, but One it's manual and it's tilt shift. I need a, I need a rock in 92 millimeter. Don't know why. I like Two, the 85. 1 250th of a second. Yeah. You don't need one two fiftieth of a second for a headshot, so I'm assuming that was your sync speed for flash, uh, or you're just you're using actually you're using constant lights, as I recall. So it's probably just you're trying to kill the ambient. It amazes me that I was at one two fiftieth because my power set my settings. So my standard settings. So this is a little bit beyond standard, which. Hey, we captured it. So sometimes, and I coach a lot of photographers and they always question me on my settings. And I always say, Hey, if I, if I looked, I got the shot, I got the shot, you know, how much variation there is, but I'm usually at 3.2 on either the 70 to 200 RF lens uh, from Canon. I'm shooting the mirrorless EOS R5, or I'm using the 85 1.2 DS RF lens, which I, I love, absolutely love at 3.2. Yeah. So once I'm at three, two, I'm always, I'm generally, I mean, I'm never going to beef up my eyes. So I'm always at a hundred. I use the flex kit from okay. Westcott, which I designed. It's a Cineflex and I'm usually at 30% power. So sometimes I'll amp it up a little bit. These numbers seem a little bit inflated. Like I hit you with a little bit more light than I normally did because one, two fiftieth of a second is I'm usually right around one, one sixtieth, one, two hundredth. The fact that I went okay. to one, two fiftieth, is that even above the sync speed? Is it one two fiftieth on the EOS R five? I should. Know. Uh, I'm not. I, a I don't, uh, yeah, actually, I'm thinking the the R five might be one two hundredth on sync speed, yeah, but but then why two. three two? Oh, because I like the depth of field from the eye to the ear. I like the ear to go out of focus. But what happens is if you go if you go a little bit wider than three two, you start to get the shoulder too much blur on the shoulder. I like the shoulder and the hair to not fall off so far with the bokeh that it just, it's totally out of focus. I'd like it to be a smoother transition. That's why, you know, I have the, I could have, well, I, I have the 8512. I could go all the way to one, two, but that's way too, this, you know, too right. much for me for a, as an artsy, you know, as a photographer who's doing commercial, commercially viable shots, I don't need to go crazy, you know, but as an artist, I like playing with one, two. But I'm usually at three two just because each I know the lens body combination works for me. Well, and, and I sh I should have mentioned this during the description. But one of the cool things about this shot is the fall off of focus. So because her hair, this I think actually would have been weird. Her eyes are so locked on tack sharp because her hair comes in front of her eyes. If her eye, if you were super shallow and her eyes were in focus, the hair that's actually in front of her would be soft, which would look weird. But you manage to maintain the right amount of those those you know 
they're not bangs. I don't know what uh, I, I'm they're, challenged they're as you can that tell. Are growing out. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Peter was also a magician um, trying to figure all that out. So okay, so here's the thing. Now that we know that Peter made the mistake on not getting to 92 and did it at 89, um, I'm curious, <laughs> how far away were you at this point? When I mean, when you're shooting with a 70 to 200 in my head, you're far away, even at like with an 85-1-2, which is a common you know, wedding and portrait lens. At, at 89 millimeters, are you, what, five, six feet? How far away are you? Yeah, it's not six. It's probably five, probably four to five. Okay. My, my thing about shooting at 80 at 92, the reason why I shoot at 92 millimeters is proximity to my subject more than anything else. It's the way, cause you need to make a connection with them. If I'm at 135, I'm way too far away to make a connection. I got to yell at them. It's just, it's just too right. long. Of a lens. So I know even at a hundred, I feel too far away. So that's why at 92, I feel really comfortable. It's like where I would stand if we were having a conversation, like I'm not, I'm going to be a, a close talker right. with somebody, you know, I don't want to impede their personal space. Uh, but at 85, I feel like it's just, yeah, exactly. If at 85, <laughs> you know, coming in too close is, uh, is 85 is good. And then uh, if I go wider than that, I'm coming in way too close and I'm starting to get a little bit more distortion from the lens on the shoulders and the, and the face and things of that nature. It, 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 it works so well. I do have a question I've always wondered because when I've done not headshots, but like a portrait, or sometimes I'm a music photographer. I shoot live music. And sometimes I will choose to do a tight crop, uh, you know, what I call an onstage portrait of a vocalist on a, on a mic. But one of the difficult things for me in your style that I think nobody talks about is, yes, you crop below the top of the head. It's not like anybody know, thinks that the head's gone, right? Everybody knows there's a head there somewhere. But how do you decide where? Because when I when I have when I have tried that effect, thinking I want that Peter Hurley look because I truly love your work. I have had shots where, you know, I I crop to here. Well, now it just looks bizarre. It's nothing but forehead. I crop a little higher, and it's like, well, now it's not enough. It looks like it was a mistake. I mean, for different hairlines, for different head shapes, for different hairstyles. What are you choosing? I'm not making any sense, am I? No, no, what no. Is I your, get what it. is I your get deciding it. factor for that? So the funny thing is over the course of my career, I've changed that. So for the for a long time, I shot and I cropped in camera and I would crop it the way that I wanted to see it. And then my retoucher would, you know, if it was a two by three format, they just take off the sides, one side or the other, but top to bottom, it was it was composed the way it was crop the way it had to be. That's all the information that was on, on the file. And then I realized I started shooting um, more corporate stuff and everybody'd be like, well, why are you chopping the heads off on everybody? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, well, proximity, it looks better, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows the top of the head is there. It's intact. The person's still breathing and walking around, you know, it's there. Look at any magazine and you'll see that everybody's got their heads cropped off throughout the magazine just because they got to fit in certain spaces. It's totally a normal thing, but people have made this an issue. And to me, it's a non-issue. However, what happened was years ago, and my style change is that I want people to look really powerful in my, in my camera. And I realized I was shooting kind of down on them. So I would put the camera at about the eye level, which means that if I put the center of the lens here and they put their head down, I'm shooting into the top of their head. So you can see the whole full head of hair and then cropping into it was real easy. I was like, oh, I'll just crop this in half here because I want to bring them closer and then the crop will be there. But then what I decided was I like the way people look. They look more heroic, more like they have their act together, more like they're in charge. If I lower my camera and shoot up, it's like the, the kings are the in 4000 BC where they made all their subjects kneel beneath them because they're the powerful ones. You know, it's the same same kind of thing. You want people to look strong. She's going to be. Um, head a headliner on a, in a Broadway show as the lead. Like she has to look like she's got her is confident in front of the camera. So I like doing that. And this particular shot, I would say I could have even brought it a little bit lower, but I like it because I was able to crop into the head a little bit, but that is after we cropped it in just a little bit afterwards. Um, I usually leave a smidgen of uh, background above their head so I can extend it. Let's say somebody asks for 
uh, portrait uh, orientation instead of landscape. I can just do it. I can flip it and then I can add that extra space uh, above the head if I need it for that whatever crop I'm using. So I can't extend if I've if that information's not there. So I change my style by going lower. It's hard to crop in the top of the head because I'm shooting lower and I don't see the top of their head anymore because I'm below it. I'm, right. I'm usually down at the collarbone or something like that with my lens now. And my camera points up. So if you ever see me shooting these days, I'm usually shooting with it the angle of the camera just pointed up a little bit. So that means I crop less into the hair. And the other thing that you asked was how do I decide uh, dependent upon what kind of hair they have, how much, like, for instance, some guy gels his hair up, spikes it up and it's three inches off his head. I don't want to crop into that hair. Good I want to show yeah. that, that I want to show what's going on up there. You know, people put volume up there for a reason and product. I want to show it. So a lot of people crop into the, have seen my work and just crop that off. And I'm like, that's the person's style you're getting rid of. Right. Don't do that. Right. You know, you don't want to do that. So, and if they've got a clean okay. noggin like yours, I can crop any, I could just go, I could, Hey, sky's the limit. I can go anywhere with the crop. I just got to decide. So visually your face fits in there perfectly. And I'm honing in on it rather than worrying about a lot of it has to do with skull shape and indentations on the skull. And some guys have veins around there and things that I, I'd just be like, Oh, I'll just crop it there. Or I'll get a hair out of place. Okay. So I just crop those hairs off. What, which explains that her chin is slightly down here. The pursing of the mouth is, is perfect. You turn most of your subjects' bodies, not all of them, but a lot of them I see where, you know, one shoulder comes forward and down just a hair. Is there a, is there a choice between when you choose to shoot them square or is it just that's a moment they're laughing and you go, okay, you know what? That worked. I'll keep it but you normally coach the 45. What's your thought? I I've done a lot less turning in my old age, but I, I, and she knows this, we tried every angle that you got. Yeah. We tried, tried all the angles. Yeah. We tried uh, straight, straight on. That was a little bit uncomfortable for me personally, <laughs> but we tried it straight okay. on and we tried a bunch of different angles. Yeah. Let, let me interrupt you on that one. If I apologize, yeah. why was that uncomfortable to you? Um, I mean, is, is there a way to articulate what you were feeling when you did that? There is. I think as an actor, as, as a human being, looking down the barrel of a lens is an intimidating, can be a very intimidating thing. And so I think when you're squared on, you know, unless you have an awesome photographer like Peter, who's coaching you through it, it can be good pull, um, good pull, like super intimate, you know, it's, it's like you're completely exposed. Um, so I think Peter giving me the, the option to explore all of those, uh, different angles. And, and he, he really helped me to see like what side of my face works better for certain things. I realized that she's, she's sexier and she's a little bit younger. She's a little <laughs> more of an ingenue, you know? So it, it was really nice to discover those things through that process of, um, of uh, getting uncomfortable and then getting more comfortable. <laughs> okay. So then Peter, for you, when, when you get, I mean, there's actors, there's stage actors like Marina that have never been in front of, you know, they're not television movie film actors, as it were. When an inexperienced person being the subject of a photograph, Right. And again, it's clearly different being in front of a television camera where mm -hmm. you're moving and it's capturing movement than it is to yeah. capture a, a still frame of your facial expression. It's the old thing. It's the weirdest thing, too. Have you ever noticed you cannot pause live television at a point where the anchor on the news looks good? Physically impossible to <laughs> right. do. No matter when you pause that television, it will be the weirdest face guaranteed. So when you get an inexperienced person in front of your camera, you obviously don't have hours to coach them. How do you help them be vulnerable and be themselves in front of a camera? I found that confidence is contagious. So I'm super ultra confident in what I do. And I let them know in a way that makes them feel like we're teaming up on it. So I'm like, I don't care how 
what you, you, you're not handling this on your own. You got me in your back corner. Like we're good. You know? So I, I have a, I also have as Marina kind of tested to is I have this unbelievable amount of stuff I would say <laughs> that I, I have for them to do. So I found that uh, this would happen a really long time ago. I found that if we can only harbor like one thought in our brain at the time. Like we could do little multitasking things, but not really. So if somebody's concerned about their appearance and what they're doing and their performance in front of the camera, I'm trying to take away all that performance-based anxiety. So by, by confusing them almost by giving them. So what I found is that humans like to be right more than they worry about their appearance. So I make them do things that they have to think about and they want to be right. They want to do it for me. So they can't think or worry about their face simultaneously. And that's the premise behind it. So I came up with all these things to say, a lot of them directionally challenges them. Um, I'm in New York city, the empire, I'm looking at the empire state building right now out my window. And I will say something like, can you tilt your head slightly towards the empire state building? And at that moment, they're like, spatially, where am I? Wait, I have to be right. He just asked me to do this. I don't want to be wrong. Right? Where is it? Like, and they think I'm serious. Um, it doesn't matter which way they tilt their head. It's the fact that they forgot about their face for that split second. And then I'm shooting and then I'm getting, and then they're going, oh, you were just messing. I was like, no, it's really over there. Tilt this way. Thank you. I usually do what I do. Tell them to do the things that I want in weird ways. Yeah. Oh, it's the you connection you just drew. The connection you just drew is is awesome because there are people out there that would look at people i'm a people watcher i analyze people there are people out there that might look at a marina coming in front of a camera for the first time and realizing a i can tell she wants doesn't want to be wrong i may not recognize she wants to be right right i may not connect the two and then to connect that if i can help her just simply know that she's right that's where your magic is, is other people, I think, might see one part of that. They might see all the parts of that, but to connect those tangents and then be able to execute on that, like your lighting is another area that I, I dig. When I first started following you, and correct me if I'm wrong, you shot with Kina flows, as I recall, and it was two of them left and right. Yep. Then there was a point, if I'm not mistaken, you had four left, right, top and bottom. And now I you should have tried with the square. I started out with the square. Okay. Kino's two, two on top, two on bottom and two on the side. So it was a square. And then I just started experimenting from there. So for men, I use what, a, a, what, a key. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, what made you change then from a square to a triangle? I have no idea. I have no idea. I really don't. You know what it was? I was like, the space is too big when it's a square. I was like, I want it small. I want it. I was shooting at, with my butt propped on a window. So with all the light coming around me from behind. So I was used to light coming straight at the person. And I was like, I want this light straight at them. And I can't put the light in front of the lens. So how close can I get it? And I just basically took that square that was like bigger and made it smaller. And then I was like, Oh, I like that catch light better. I was like, this is going to work. And then I, I see. And that's the thing. I love your triangle catch light. How, how far are the lights? Like when Marina's in front of the camera, how far are the lights from her? About two, three feet, two, three feet, maybe like, two feet. So two like feet. arms reach. Yeah, yeah. We're further back. We have lights. We have my lights in front of us right now that are lighting us in and they're further back. And that's like three feet. So yeah. it's probably two and a half feet. So in my head, because I've never stood in front of Peter's camera, I walked by at WPPI and they had the headshot booth up and I'm like, man, that would be so cool. Is it for you, Marina, when you go in there, it feels to me that three of those lights would be a bit blinding and that in and of itself would A, make you more self-conscious because you're hyper aware at that point, B, make your eye... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is your, your eye reactions feel different to you. Like you might squint. Does it feel that way when you're in there? Um, no, honestly, I think because it's continue continuous, is that right? Continuous yeah. lighting. I, I would get really freaked out with flashes. Um, and I've shot before with photographers where, where the flashes are really intense and, uh, that throws me off. Definitely. 
but um, these lights were soft. Like you said, you shoot at like 30%. It was just enough to really like bring my eyes out. I've also never had a headshot where the color of my eyes accurately been captured. Um, my eyes are like greenish, yellowish. So sometimes they come out a lot darker than, than they are. Um, so yeah, no, it was pretty smooth lighting. Yeah. It's also bringing that people. And your lighting. Say that again. Real estate in the eye. So the iris is the color. So she's got this beautiful color. The pupil is black and it takes up so much space. So when you shoot a strobe, you get what I consider BPS, big pupil syndrome, because the pupil doesn't have time to react. So I shoot with the continuous and I get that pupil as small as possible. So it's it's creating more real estate for the green in her eyes to come out. And that's why she says, you know, and plus I'm I'm jamming the light so far into their face that it's actually getting that light into the eyes. I will never not be able to think of BPS now. Uh, your, your, your lighting design has, has evolved in such a way that I just think, and again, this shot being a perfect example, it's, it's evolved how human faces look. I'm going to say on film for lack of a better phrase, but you know what I mean? What's your normal post workflow? So you, you shoot Marina, you get these pictures. If I recall correctly, you used to have somebody else and send people to an editor do you still do that? Do you edit your own? And if you edit your own or when you edit your own, is there a software package that you prefer? My assistant does it with me. So we shoot into capture one and then I do some minor adjustments on color there and exposure and everything. I export a 16 bit TIFF and we go into Photoshop and then she works on it from there. My big thing is that I don't want to enhance anything. That's not really that I I'm just a big, I don't want it to look retouched. I mean, if you look at her now and you look at, I mean, that shot does not, we retouched it, but I don't want it to be detected. Um, we do minor things, you know, we moved one of the hairs in a little bit more that was sticking out a little bit too far. I mean, we really didn't do much to it at all. I don't whiten eyes because my eyes are so bright and I don't like the exposure to look like it came up. A lot of photographers do that and it just looks cheap into me. I don't soften skin. I like all the skin texture. We do do uh, retouching on the skin for blemishes and things like that to make sure it looks nice. But that's about it. The, um, the only other thing that I'll do is I might dodge and burn. I might bring out a little bit more highlight and burn a little bit more in just to get the eye to come more focused on the face a little bit, but that's about it. And it's all super, uh, low opacities on different layers and not very detectable, but it's a recipe that, that really does create the look. And also there's a lot of color work being done because of I'll look at somebody's skin tone in the lights that I'm shooting them. And I'm trying to match that in real life. So there's a difference between the color temperature of the lights and then how capture one reads it or how I bring the raw file. If, if the Canon camera puts anything on the raw file and then I bring it into capture one and then I got a setting on it. And then I got another setting. And then I got to look at the, the, I shoot 5,600 Kelvin on my, on my bicolor flex kit from Westcott, I bring it into, into capture one. And I know that's a, that to me, that perfectly fits in right at 5,000 on the capture one scale. And then we bring it into Photoshop and it's another difference in terms of what it is. So you just really, I do everything by eye. I think you have to develop an eye for it. And I've trained my assistant to have my eye and it's still, it was months of us looking at all our work together to get on the same page with the color. Uh, but now we know it and most of the stuff she doesn't have to show me, but I always review it and make sure it's to my, to my liking. We still have other shots from the session. I love that, that, that idea though. I love the idea that your lights are 5,600, but on the capture one scale, it's 5,000 because I know a lot of people like when I shoot a concert, sometimes I know what the stage lights are and I, I can't set those lights in Lightroom or whatever I'm, I'm in. Because it'll end up not looking like I know it looked. Um, I suppose if you used a gray card, you could use that gray card in Capture One to get close, though, couldn't you? Yeah, you could. Yeah, I like doing it by eye. Um, I think I think for people that okay. have, are in the development process of their eye, it, you know, using a gray card is helpful. Anything like that is helpful. But I think the thing is, it's hard for people to understand that because I'll say I'll put my lights at 5,600 and they'll put their capture one setting at 5,600 and they'll be like, oh, my gosh, the person's so yellow. What's going on? 
And I'm like, well, you, right. it's just different companies don't talk to each other and say, hey, let's everybody get on the same page here. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, color wise. And then yeah. you've got the, the yeah. calibration of the monitor, which is a whole nother thing that you've got to take into consideration. So essentially, I want it to look good across whatever platforms are going to be out there. So I might test the color on my phone. I might throw it into Instagram and look at it on an iPad. I'll look at it on uh, my laptop. I'll look at it on my iMac. And I'm I'm trying to just go, okay, what's the mean range here that's going to be acceptable and going to make her look her best and most like her so that so that it comes across that casting director's desk and they go, ooh, that one, we need her. And that's the old George Martin Beatles thing was based on how you mix a song. If you mix a song for AM radio, it will most likely sound good anywhere. And I always use the same kind of a thing. Like I have an iMac and I have a, a color calibrated NEC, but I'll look at it on both. The iMac's color calibrated too, but look at it on both, look at it on my phone. And the other thing is if it's a normal photo, I'll still look at it on a white background and a black background because I run Instagram in dark mode and other people don't. So... Yeah. Finding that that middle ground, if you were to if you were to get somebody in one of your workshops that had never they were new to photography and they're like, this looks so cool. I want to do this for a living. What's your one tip to give somebody a leg up on doing this type of photography? I realize there's probably 300 tips, but if you were to give them one tip to at least get them one step forward. I mean, the one tip that I give everybody and I say it over and over again is that if, first of all, direction is something that you never stop learning. Like you don't master, like I haven't mastered my light. I haven't mastered direction. I haven't mastered headshot photography. So when a photographer says there's a master photographer, I'm like, where, where are they? (laughs) Like, I mean, I just don't. So I just tell people, if you want to do this, the number one tip I have is to get as many different human beings in front of your camera because you're dealing with different personalities and learning how to uh, direct them is the most important thing because I could teach you the technical. I could teach that. It's that that it's tough to be like, because you're trying to pin down somebody's personality. Like I can't, I can only teach the way I do it, but I'm like big and animated and yelling and jumping up and down and yelling shebang and making people laugh. And and I'll be coaching an introvert. And I'm like, look, you're not going to do it the way I do it. Like, this is what you have to, you have to get so many different human beings in front of your camera to decide how you're going to behave with each one of them to get the end result that you need for yourself as an artist. And that's what I'm trying to do every day. And you're jumping through hula hoops of other people's hula hoops. It's not even my own. Like they'll walk in the door and I'm perfectly good with anybody who walks in the door to mold them. But sometimes they just won't let you in. I'm like, this is going in one ear and out the other. They're not, they're so fixed that I can't even get around them. And you have to have that experience to know how to deal with it, to get them. And then you have somebody like this walk in the door and you just go, okay, just stand in front of my camera and do that. And you're like, wow, well, yeah. that was I amazing. Mean, just be, to add to you. what you're saying. Right? Yeah, yeah, just be yourself. Just that's, don't do anything. That's Stand very there. kind. No thought. We have 500 pictures that so, we deleted that say otherwise. Yeah. But I yeah. just wanted to add one no, thing sh- to you. Oh. No one knows. No one knows. Yeah, exactly. those were secret. Exactly. Yeah, those were secret. I just so, wanted okay, to I have a question for each of you. Oh, no, Wait, go ahead, Ad. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to add one thing to what you were saying. Um that I think you do so well as a photographer and as a director is you are able to capture someone's soul, right. In a commercially viable fashion. Like you were saying, like you, uh, not once did I feel like I was put in a box or like I was, he didn't play to my type at all. He didn't put me in a box. As soon as I got in front of his camera, he was interested in, uh, in, in who I was in my joy and my soul and everything that came across um, in our communication, in our conversation. So that to me immediately brought down that wall that you're saying that people have up sometimes, um, just knowing that you were interested in seeing who I was and not interested in taking a picture of like the sexy Latina or the, you know, what, you know, the, the Disney princess, whatever you were interested in, in seeing me. Again, that is, that is so key this is why I, when when he suggested, Marina, having you on, I'm like, oh, there is so much gold that's going to come out of this. Because I think a lot of photographers might even think they're doing a lot of what Peter's talking about. But that that 
attitude that you just described of when you walked in the door, Peter didn't have a preconceived notion. Mm-hmm. Peter let you walk in as the human that you are and tried to capture that mm-hmm. accurately and ends up with this. Right. I mean, I, I like, yeah, I like challenging myself. Uh, I get this a lot. Photographers ask me if I have consultations with my subjects before I shoot them. And uh, I used to, and I used to feel I needed to. And I was like, I need to make that connection. I need that person to walk in more relaxed. I'm going to be more relaxed. They're going to be more relaxed. We're going to get better pictures. And I realized that that was a crutch. It was like, I wasn't a good enough director. So as I got better at directing, I went, all right, well, let me challenge myself. It's like when I started speaking and going on stage nervous, and then eventually that goes away. And then you're like, okay, now I have to challenge myself. Well, that's where I'm at with my direction, my photography. I have to challenge myself. So I want that person to walk in the door. And I want to greet them. And I'm just going right from there off of whatever vibe we create together at that moment. And if it goes, you know, and it goes whichever way it goes, that I need to know which way to bring it back. If I need to bring it back with her, it just went and it just kept going. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And it was just, you know, we just were amazing. And I try and run the gamut of expression with people that will do that with me. And she did whatever, everything that I possibly could have needed. See, and that face right there, it's the bubbly personality that I can imagine, you know, I'm asking you what it was like to be in front of, of Peter's camera, but I can imagine Peter's side of what it's like, what an amazing experience it would be to get a subject that's, that has that smile and that personality and that, that, uh, vibrance as it were. So I, I, so I'm so glad you're here. I have a question, quick question to close up for the both of you. And normally I just ask this as a photographer, but I'm going to, I'm going to add it to Marina too. So first of all, Peter, is there a photographer or artist for that matter that people may not know about that you think they should? Oh, hmm. That they don't know about, but so they, now Marina's I got kind they, of a head well, start. Her, they she should can start know about her. <laughs> <laughs> they should know about her. If you can get her to sing, I would die. <laughs> you guys can absolutely oh, check out. Okay. See, I yes. told you it's going to be a tough one. But so, um, Marina, for you then, okay, go ahead. I just, I just coach a lot of photographers and, you know, there's just people who, you know, came into my fray and, and then just spread their wings and went nuts. And, uh, I love one of my friend's work. His name's John David Pittman. So check him out. I love what the guy's okay. doing. And so Marina, my question for you is, since it's not photographer, although it might be, Peter excluded, is there a singer, an artist, a photographer, a creative of some sort mm. that inspires you that you think people should know about? Yes. Um, I, I, love the music of Gregory Allen Isakoff. Um, he's a, a folk writer out in Colorado. He's a farmer most of the time. And then he's, you know, tours with his music. Um, I think he does a good job of what, what Peter does and what a lot of artists I love do is that they capture their environment um, and they can kind of transport you to that world. So I feel like I'm in Colorado every time I listen to his music. I love that. All right. So to close out, and for those of you watching on video, as we've been going through, I've been putting lower thirds up below both Marina and Peter as we go through. For those of you on audio, just to let everybody know, uh, it's peterhurley.com, right, Peter? Yes. Yep. Okay. Headshotcrew.com. Yep. And then the other one is headshotbooker.com, I think. Yes. Okay. Uh, You're on everything. So Peter Hurley on Instagram and Twitter, Peter Hurley photo on YouTube and, and Peter Hurley photo as well on uh, Facebook. What are you, by the way, on clubhouse? I'm underscore Hurley on Instagram and Twitter, Peter underscore Hurley. Peter so underscore Peter, Hurley, right? Yeah. I'm Peter Hurley on clubhouse. I'm working on getting okay. Peter. I so had if you're Peter on clubhouse Hurley on Instagram, I'm working on it. Oh, you did have it though? I had it. And then somebody told me that I had to match my Twitter and I couldn't get it on Twitter. So I went to Peter underscore Hurley on Instagram. And now I wish I had stayed Peter, Peter Hurley, but anyway, I'm working on getting it back. We'll see. 
Okay. And follow him on Clubhouse as well. Follow him on social media if you don't already. And then Marina, just uh, if you would give everybody your uh, web address as well. Sure. It's just marinapyrus.com. And uh, Instagram, it's all Marina M. Pyrus. And I think Facebook is the same, Marina M. Pyrus. And then, of course, everybody watch out for Marina on Broadway, hopefully this coming summer as Jasmine in Aladdin. I am so excited for you and uh, to both of you. Thank you so much for doing this, man. It's been a long show, and I know you guys both had to show up at the same place. So thank you, and I hope you're staying warm in New York. Trying. It's a nicer (laughs) day today. We did. We stayed warmer today. We were okay. Steve, thanks for having me and Marina. I mean, this is, thank you for coming and doing this with me. This is awesome. Thank you both so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. So to everybody, just to remind you, uh, you can go see all the show notes for this show at behindtheshot.tv. Find this episode. I've got a blurb written about Peter and Marina. I've got all the links that we talked about. I've got to look up the the creatives that they mentioned. And then the gallery of shots of Peter's work. But of course, follow them on social media or wherever you can. So thank you to Peter. Thank you. Thank you to Marina. Quick reminder for everybody, Princeton Photo Workshops. I've got a workshop coming up in April. It's one night a week, three weeks in a row on the challenges of uh, action low light action photography, princetonphotoworkshop.com. Head over there. And uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that wherever you get your podcast. I'm also on Spotify and all of those type of things. Or you can do it on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, make sure that you subscribe. And again, the bell, make sure you bang the bell. Uh, other than that, thanks for everybody for watching. We will see you on the next show. 